I've been doing this a long time, and anytime you see me bring, bring a Bible to the pulpit, you know business is about to happen. First of all, stand with me if you would, please. I told somebody before church that um, this is the way this works. I'm going to tell you how this works. You think you come to church and the Word will change your heart. That's not the way it works. No wonder you're messed up. You have to pray that the Holy Spirit will change your heart, and then when the Word is spoken, it'll receive it. Because Jesus was the walking Word among them, and it didn't change them at all. It even made them more angry. So don't buy into the thought and the process that, well, it's the preacher's responsibility. The more truth he'll speak, the better I'll get. That's not the way it works. So this is the way we're going to do. We're going to pray that God will soften your heart and open your heart. And then what's going to be said will, will sink in and make a difference. All right? Take somebody by the hand. Father, this morning we're just going to ask you to do what only you can do supernaturally. Your word is supernatural. It's beyond our thoughts and our thinking and our predictions. Not only is it spirit and it's life, but it's, it's inspired by you of all the kings that we know. And so we pray for the next few moments, help us to surrender our minds that we can get a better concept of the day and the age we live in. We pray for these folks in Ukraine. We pray for every home and every family that's been attacked and has been involved in the onslaught and the murders that is going on today. We, we, we pray for them. We pray not only for domestic help, but we, we pray for supernatural help in their direction, whether it be winds or floods or earthquakes. That We pray that you'll help these people. And so for this morning, we pray as the body of Christ that we'll have a different perspective when we leave this place in the weeks to come of who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. Give the Lord a praise offering, would you please? Turn about two people and say, I don't know what's going on, but I may not like it. You may not. I don't know. So for about 20-something years, I wanted to do this. And I've kind of been afraid to do it, kind of in a nice way. Maybe afraid is the wrong word. But if you've ever known there's anything different about me, um, through the years, you're going to figure out why in the next two or three weeks. And, and I'll tell you, today will be very low impact. Next week, it'll get a little better. And week three, you want to resign this church. So before you stomp out of here, before you stomp out of here today, and no, we will not give your money back, and no, you cannot cancel your tithe check. It don't work that way. <laughs> Eschatology. Eschatology, by definition, means uh, the study of final things. Eschatology is a long word, but it basically means the discussion or the thought process of final things, final days, whether it be death or impending judgments, whatever God has. So the study of eschatology in the church, you'll hear the word thrown around. But, but I will tell you that nothing has caused more division and confusion within the church, or a.k.a. I refer to it as the unknown doctrine 
like eschatology. Nothing. And I want to say this up front. What I'm about to tell you, now today will be kind of easy to swallow. It's not going to be hard. Next two, three weeks, it's going to take some, some stretching of your throat. But this has nothing to do with my conversion. This has nothing to do with the virgin birth. This has nothing to do with the vicarious life of Christ, which is sinless. This has nothing to do with, with, with his death, burial, and even resurrection. Our conversion, our salvation, and our eternity with God. It just has everything to do with you people stumbling over the unknowns of things to come. Because next week we'll deal with the rapture of the church and I'm going to tell you straight up, there's not one. And already you want to leave. Because things that you've learned in Sunday school, but this is not Sunday school. Welcome to Theology 101. Now I do believe in the second coming. But next week, we're not going to get the cart before the horse because I have a long ways to go. So I was raised in Assembly of God. I had a Pentecostal holiness license for two, three months. I tore it up. I know, all, I know all the apologetics on that side. There's nothing you can tell me that I don't already know as far as the apologetics on the subject I'm going to talk about. I'll assure you. But while I was saying those and hearing those things and repeating those things, in the bottom of my heart, I knew something wasn't right. It's like taking a shower with your socks on. It's like kissing your sister. She's a girl, but it's not right. <laughs> but I've got to get this off my chest, and so here we go. You see, the first advent of Christ, they all missed it completely. They thought he was coming on a yellow bus, and he came in, in a blue taxi. They missed him. How can you miss the Son of God? With all the scriptures, I mean, how can you miss him? It, it took three guys from, the, from a country, it took them about two and a half years to get to him to finally get it. But all the Jews and all the smarty pants and, and all the Bible cassettes they had roaming around in Jerusalem and they missed him? How do you miss him? Because they was looking for him to come in a, in a yellow taxi and he came in a blue bus. His second hand then, oh, we're, now we're looking for him to come in a blue bus, but could he be coming in a yellow taxi? Because you've been programmed about certain unknown future events, and if you're not careful, you've missed him even yesterday. Because the next couple of weeks, I'm going to tell you the difference that I am. I am a kingdom man, and the kingdom of heaven is in me now. Don't lower me to just a Christian, because everybody is a Christian today. Ozzy Osbourne's a Christian, he says. But the kingdom of heaven is in me now. So in the next few weeks, we'll discuss this. So here's what we've been programmed growing up, me. Now, we're living in the church age since 33 AD. There will be some type of a rapture of the church, but we don't know when that will be. It'll be a secret thing. Number three, there's going to be a great tribulation with the Antichrist and three frogs comes with it. Then there'll be a second coming of Christ, which will be the resurrection. And then after the second you can stop me if this is news to you. Then after the tribulation will come the second coming of Christ. And after the second coming of Christ, there's a thing called the thousand-year millennial reign. Then after the thousand-year millennial reign, Revelation said, then the Satan will be released for a short season, whatever that is. It could be 500,000 years. Who knows? 
And then after that happens, then God will come and judge the wicked and the great white throne judgment, and then that we'll all spend eternity somewhere. Already, my head has exploded. Does anybody know everything about what I just told you? And I told, I told them before church, it's like watching those commercials on the radio, and they give a commercial, then they go, it's that disclaimer. That's the way they do with Bible prophecy. And they say it so fast, and you say it so fast, and you say it so quick, and you just throw it in there, but really you don't know what you're saying. So I have a reason why I'm starting this, and I want to say this to you, because, because tomorrow a button could be pushed in the Soviet Union, which is 50 miles from America, and the Holocaust that these people are enduring can, can come upon this church. And don't ever tell me that God is... We, we talked about this. Well, somebody said, God has not appointed us to wrath, but salvation. Exactly. God has not has doomed us to hell, but it's salvation. But the same people that were being led to be fed to the lions in 66 AD were saying the same verse. Children would be impaled on skewers, dipped in, in bitumen, which is asphalt, and be lit on torches in Appian Way. Those people had the same scriptures that we have today. So don't start this, God's going to put me in a bubble and keep me. You have no promise of that. Because those people in Ukraine, some of them believe in Christ, they believe in God, and they're still being murdered. So what are we going to do with that? You're no better than they are. All I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to motivate you. I'm not trying to pump you up or build you up. I'm trying to get your feet planted. Okay? This is the four main events of Mark 13. Mark 13, Matthew 24, and Luke 21 is all the same subject topic. Write it down. There's four main events. Number one, Mark 13, 1 through 2, 1 and 2, is the, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. We're going to go through all these. Mark 13, 3 through 13, now then he gives them the signs of the end times concerning the end of the age. Mark 13, 14 through 23. The dispensation, this is dispensation of teaching. This is not, I'm just telling you what you've been programmed. Deals with the great tribulation. And Mark 13, 24 through 37 is the coming of the Son of Man and the second advent of Christ's return. So as a dispensationalist, this is what I've been taught. That Matt, the first one is Jesus talks about the destruction temple, and then he gets off into the signs of time concerning the future. Then he talks about the great tribulation, abomination, desolation, and then he talks about the coming of the Son of Man and Christ's return. And that's what I've been taught. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. And it's all been mud to me. Because by the time I get something figured out, it's like breaking a thermometer. By the time you get a little bit of mercury somewhere, the rest of it runs off. Hal Lindsey wrote The Late Great Planet Earth, 1970. And it was all false. Hal Lindsey wrote The Blood Moons that was re recited by John Hagee back in the 70s and it all turned out to be nothing. Every Bible preacher before here, whether it be Jack Van Impey, all great men, they started chasing signs and wonders and now then, every prophecy they wrote basically had to be removed from the shelf a year or two later. Why is that? And so because of that reason, we just, we just quit talking about it. If it's in the Bible, why don't we talk about it? 
So in the Christian community, especially being raised in certain backgrounds, that, 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 that we think we're going to get out here un, untouched and escape, I, I, I have no promise of that whatsoever. And neither do you. So don't tune me out. At least give me the opportunity to plead my case. So this is the deal. You're welcome to it. Write down any questions you want to give to me, please. After church. Not right now. You can write something down. And, and, and I'll be glad to address it with you. 100%. Absolutely. But give me about two or three weeks, and then we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. But if you have any questions, concerns, just, just ask me. Okay. This is referred to as the Olivet Discourse. My responsibility this morning as the messenger of the scriptures is to do my very best to get this correct. In content and in context. Okay? There's a huge responsibility that's weighed upon my shoulders this morning to get this correct for you. Not only in content, but in context. That means it goes in a proper place. Has anybody had kids? You told them pick up your room, pick your shoes up, and they stick it in the icebox instead. And what do you say? Is this where this goes? Bad parent. I say the same thing to you as far as scripture. Is that where that goes? I don't know. Well, I'm telling you, that's not where it goes. See, that's, I want you to understand the framework that I'm going to work around this morning. So this is Mark, Mark chapter number 13, 1 through 4. This is the New King James Bible, and it says this. So then, as he, Jesus, went out of the temple with his other four disciples, one of his disciples said unto him, Teacher, see what manner of stones that these buildings are here. He's referring to the temple. Over 20 acres. The western wall was 100 feet high. Stones weighing over tons each. It was a magnificent structure that Herod built. 16 B.C. finished it. This great massive fortified city within a city. And the disciples said, wow, this is, this is magnanimous. This is awesome. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another, and that stone shall not be thrown down. So now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things shall be, and what will be the signs when all these things shall be fulfilled. Now the first thing I want to tell you, do not jump ahead into the unknown future of anything. It's going to get you in trouble. If we're going to be correct, we're going to be correct in content and context. So they're having a conversation. They're walking out of the temple, and it is something to behold. There's marble inlaid. There's gold inlaid. And matter of fact, that, that the Romans heard rumors that there was gold in the mortar. That's why they took the bricks apart, massive stones apart. So the first two verses, they're having this conversation. The disciples are saying, this is, one of these days, can we have a church this big? And by the time you get to verse 3 and 4, some of your commentaries and some of your good dispensational Bible will say, now then, he's going to begin the subject of end times. That is not correct. 
He's still talking about the destruction of the temple. So why would they leave from the entrance or the exit of the temple and go all the way to Mount Olivet for this reason, in private, for this reason? Because he says now then they're on the opposite side and they're looking at the temple from a distance because to say anything about the imploding of the temple is almost like right before you get on the airplane telling the stewardess, you know what? I've always wanted to hijack an airplane. <laughs> right before you get on board, you, you take the, the microphone for somebody and say, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know I've been working on a bomb, how to blow up an airplane midair. Do you think they're going to let you on that airplane? The reason why the, it's the same subject, but it's a new location is because any whispers or words that can be whispered against the imploding or the removal of the temple was immediate death. So what does he do with maturity? Follow me. And so they walk down a few hundred yards, and he sits at the base of Mount Olivet, and they look at the temple, and he says, very quietly, to the four. And the reason why to the four, because he trusted these four. The mother, he couldn't trust them with anything. Blabbermouth, gossipers. Sitting around at a card game, say, hey, guess what the, Jesus said today? He's going to tear up the temple. He said, there's not one stone that's going to be left upon another. What is he referring to? And here's the answer. It's the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. When that happened? 70 A.D. Are y'all with me? You might as well be. So now then, this is why that he moves down the line a little bit. Now then, the verse that can make the Olivet Discord a little bit tough to interpret is found in Mark 13, dealing with his prophecy, is down Mark 13, verse 30 and 31. And let's read that. He's on the same subject. Don't, 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 don't go anywhere else. Just stay right there on the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. No matter what your commentary says, just tear it out of your Bible. Stay right there. And he said, Surely that I say unto you that this generation will no by means pass away till all these things will take place. Next verse, watch this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what I just told you will not pass away. There's two key statements that has to be said about this that's very important. Number one, go back to verse 30. All these things must take place. And the second one is, verse 31, please. And heaven and earth shall pass away this generation. Two statements that he makes in this verse, and he says this. This generation will not pass. Ganea is the word for generation. Now, in about four weeks, we're going to talk about what generation is. And I know somebody said, oh, well, it's 40 or 70. No, well, that's, that's elementary. There was, different, there was different views of generation besides a numerical number value system. So, and all the prophecies that he's giving about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., but they didn't know it was 70 A.D. They just knew him said there's not one stone that will be left upon another. And now then, they don't know what's going on. He said, I'm telling you straight up, this generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled according to my word. And he said this, heaven and earth will pass away, but what I just said, you can take it to the bank. 
So for us that was raised in, in a dispensationalism and we throw this into the future somewhere, the problem with this is that we believe that his word will not pass away, but the problem was this word called this generation. And by definition in the Greek, genea means the generation within the 40-year lifespan. So he's telling them that whatever the prophecies that he's speaking about, the destruction and the, and the upheavals and everything you'll read about in Mark 13 and Matthew 24 and Luke 21, he is dealing with the destruction of the temple and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Turn to somebody and say, Amen. Amen. Now the problem with this if these things that he's speaking about in 70 AD did not come to pass in those people's generations, then there would imply an enormous, I mean, just an enormous inaccuracy of Scripture. Because you cannot leave verse 30 and 31 out of your prophecy book. Can't do it. It has to be in the context of the words of Jesus. So he's sitting at the Mount of Olivet, he's looking at the temple, and now then he's talking to his four, that whom he trusts, and he said, these are the events and signs that's going to happen, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and he said, I'm going to tell you straight up, and in this generation among you, and they all saw it. And he said, I'm looking, I'm looking at you dead in the eye and telling you this, it'll happen in your generation. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what I just told you will come to pass. So for you that, and we're going to talk about this. So when you first read about this, I want to give you the answer of what things is he talking about? What things? So I kind of shorten this because I don't want to keep you here too long. But he says in, in Mark 13, 5 through 23, Matthew 24, Luke 21, here's the things that he's talking about. Wars and rumors of wars. First thing to say, well, it's going on right now. It's going on in Ukraine. That's not what he's talking about. Well, he's talking about the invasion of Rocket Man over practicing his nuclear arms. He's not talking about him. I call him Rocket Man, Kim Jong, whatever his name is. Il Sung, whatever his name. Wuhan, I don't know what his guy's name is. He's talking about present day. Now somebody told me, he said, D -d -d you know what they told me for a church? Don't be a church of Christ. I'm not a church of Christ. I'm God's man. And just because you've been taught wrong, we're here to correct some things that have messed you up. Because you just, you just said a while ago, you don't understand it. That's what you just told me. So either you're lying or you're telling the truth. So we're going to try to clear up the mud here for you. So Jesus is talking to his disciples about 70 A.D. and he's having a private conversation then because he doesn't want it to get out verbally aloud because he will be executed before his crucifixion and, and, and it will sidetrack his commission and calling. So now then, so what things? Wars and rumors of war. It means threats and tensions. Now if you don't know this, about 65, 66 A.D., the Zealot, Simon the Zealot, you may have heard the disciple called Simon the Zealot, his family, they were about to overthrow Rome. They were trying to overthrow Rome inside Jerusalem. And see, some of you don't even know that. It was almost coming about. 
There was wars and rumors of wars inside Jerusalem. That's why he calls him Simon the Zealot. These zealots were, were, were true to the nation of Israel, and they said, we're going to get a band of army together, and we're going to put a few grenades together, and we're going, we're going to take back the kingdom. But it never happened. The next one is called Nation Against Nations, where we get a Greek word called ethnos. And ethnos is ethnic backgrounds, racial riots. You think it just started a few years ago. Nay, nay. Acts chapter 6, don't turn there. God was moving in a tremendous way. People were being healed by the shadow of Peter. The Holy Spirit was being outpoured in a tremendous degree. And guess what happened? Acts chapter 6, we have a little glitch in the system. Here it is. The Jews were murmuring that the Grecians were getting more attention than the Jew widows. Jews and Grecians is a Greek word called ethnos. Ethnic backgrounds. Eve, and, he, and, and so they come to the, the, the disciples and say, well, we, we, we got a problem. And this is what the disciples says: Is this a joke? Are y'all kidding me? The Spirit of God's moving, the power of God's moving, and you want to whine and complain because she got four biscuits and you got four and a half? See, it was going on back then. And it's going on today. Watch this. I, let me know that God doesn't change. Sin doesn't change. Sleeping with your sheep was in the Old Testament. That's why I said don't do it. Sin has never changed. So wars against... Rumors of wars... Nations against nations, that's ethnic background, it's race. Kingdom against kingdom, that's where we get the word for zealots, about to overthrow in 66 AD. False messiahs, false prophets, famine, earthquakes, deadly violences, it means, you're, it says in Mark, your, your family members will rise up and kill their parents. And so you, you can look, you said, we got wars going on, check. Uh, there's, there's, there's racial tensions everywhere, check. Uh, kingdom of, yeah, we're, we're against Rocket Man over. Check. Uh, we got false messiahs everywhere, false prophets, famine. He's talking about today. He's not talking about today. He's talking about in present day of those disciples. Now, can you, can you, can you relate to today? Okay. But he's speaking to a specific generation, his disciples. So what happens is, in the danger of this, is that you're going to take these scriptures and you're going to shoot it into the unknown. You don't know when he's coming back. You don't if there is a rapture and, and, and all that. We don't know, but we just know it's out there somewhere. And Jesus said, it's happening in your generation. You know why he's telling them that? It's because you better buckle up, buttercup. Now, Keep in mind that from the moment that he spoke this, just kind of keep in mind, you know this, Titus surrounded the city, went into 70 AD, but keep in mind from the year 33, now some say 30 but because of 4 BC, but forget that, we're going to say 33 AD. They had 37 years 
for these prophecies to come to pass. Now just let that sink in for a moment. Wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdoms against kingdoms, false messiahs, false prophets, famine, earthquakes in diverse places, and, and deadly vines, parents being murdered by their children, so on and so forth. They had 37 years for all these verses to come to pass. It's a long time. Hammy knows that, that we've seen a shift in, in everything in the last two years. So you can say all this is present day. I agree with you, but that's not the context of the content. Here's an unusual statement. It's found in Mark 13, 24 through 27. We're going to read this in the King James Bible. In those days, what days? The destruction of the temple. He's not taking a futuristic bus ride into the unknown. They asked the question, what are the signs of all these things be? So he said, in those days, after, watch this, that, that, not the, that, a particular, not the great tribulation, even the King James gets it right, after that tribulation, what tribulation, what's about to come to pass at 70 A.D. So somebody besides me, have you ever heard the word the Great Tribulation? How many knows it's spelled T-H-E with all capital letters? That is T-H-A-T. It means a particular point in time. It's not the Great Tribulation. It is that tribulation. What tribulation? What's about to come upon the temple and Jerusalem? Now watch this. If you're sleepy, wake up. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now, four things. We're, we're going to go back and read them again because some of you are from Wilson. These, these four things. Go back. In those days, when destruction is coming at 70 A.D., and he didn't tell him, but he said, four things are going to happen. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. Number three, the stars in the heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Okay. And then they will see the, the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great glory and power. Stop right there, power and glory. He's coming with great power and glory. And so you're, you're thinking, yeah, he's coming. A second coming. And it sounds good when you mix it with 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Because he's coming in the clouds of glory. So let's show this. Everybody knows this. Every chimp from Frank Buck Zoo knows this. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those that are alive and remaining shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and those so will we be together with the Lord. And in about four weeks, I'm going to explain this verse for an hour. And I'll change your thinking about a rapture. Okay? So when you mix these two together, you're getting this idea that verse 26 says, and they will see the Son of Man coming in His glory. And now then, in, in 1 Lessons 4, 16 and 17, you, you get this thing about His second coming, His advent. But we only have one problem with this. 
We only have one problem with that being the second coming is going back to verse 30 and 31. This generation. And you don't have the right nor the power to leave it out or extract it from your prophetic book. Do I believe there will be a second coming? Absolutely. Do I believe 1 Corinthians 4, 16, 17 refers to his second coming? Absolutely. Do I believe there will be a great change in the cataclysmic of the resurrection of the dead? Absolutely. But what he's referring to is in the presence of that generation. Are you with me? So you, you, can, you, you can pull a verse and say, it'll kind of be like that. Okay, it'll kind of be like it. But that's not what he's referring to. It may, I'm, not, I'm not here to sell a book. I'm here to teach you truth. So you won't get messed up. So in the scripture, there are two languages that are always used in scripture. There's figurative and there's literal. Okay? Especially in the Old Testament. So, in the Old Testament, figurative scripture was used a lot constantly by Old Testament prophets to warn about the judgment of God that was coming. Now, take a deep breath because we're going to read something straight from scripture and it's going to shock you and then I'm really going to electrocute you in a minute. I will. So figurative speech sometimes is that is used, especially in Revelation, but a lot in, in, in the Old Testament. It was figurative language that was used to draw pictures up. Now, in the New Testament, we call them paraboles or parable, or it means figure of or like. The kingdom of heaven is like. He didn't say it wasn't. It's kind of like it. Because if he said the kingdom of heaven is like salt and light, then he said, oh, then we got to go build us a big candle and a salt shaker because we just learned that the kingdom of heaven is salt and light. And he said, it's kind of like it. And the kingdom of heaven is like a man that had sons. And so you get the idea. So figurative language is used in the Old Testament, especially by prophets, to warn you that judgment is coming. And we're going to read a scripture in Isaiah, and Isaiah prophesies this, because Babylon is about to be sentenced by God. Judgment is about to be upon them. This is found in Isaiah 13, 6 through 10. Wow. Well, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Now, when it says at hand, it means it's here. This is what Jesus has referred to as the kingdom, and we'll get to that in week five. And it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. And every man's heart will melt. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, I mean, literally, does it mean that the curse of God, that everybody have a limp wrist and, and everybody's heart will melt? Can we all agree that's figurative speaking? I mean, is the judgment of God that everybody has a, a limp hand and, and, and their hearts all melted? No, I mean, we know. I mean, we know. It's figurative language. But watch this. And they, will, and they will be afraid. Pains of sorrow will take hold of them, and they will be in pains of a woman in childbirth, and they will be amazed, watch this, at one another, and their faces will be like flames. Now, leave it right there. I mean, I mean, 
Do we really feel like everybody's going to run around with their face on fire? No. No, they're not. Sit this next statement makes familiar to you. If you heard this before, watch this. Behold, the day of the Lord will come, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. Keep going. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. Did we hear that somewhere? Did we just read that in Mark 13? That the sun will be darkened? The stars will fall? The moon will give light? Did we just read that? Could Isaiah not be talking about the future ahead of us? Could Isaiah be looking down the kaleidoscope of time and saying, the day will come? At 70 AD, he didn't say it because God didn't give him that information. But he's talking about the warning of Babylon that's coming upon the nation and God's about to bring judgment upon Babylon. He said, Babylon, you're in for the ride of your life because this is what's going to happen when God begins to destroy you. The, the sun will not shine. The stars in heaven will begin to cascade down and the moon will refuse to give her light because when God judges something, nature and the heavens will reflect his anger. Mark chapter 13. These verses said the same thing. That he said, in this generation, the sun will not shine. The moon will not give its light. Something in the heavens will be shaking. And the stars in the heaven will fall, cascading. Because God says, I'm going to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel like I did in Babylon. Now, you can. It's illegal, and I'm going to call you on it, but you can say, oh, he's talking about, uh-uh, you can't do that. He's talking about Babylon. And if anybody knows church history, boy, did Babylon ever get it. God pulled down his little pants, and he really whacked them. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> you know why? Babylon contempted the rituals and the sacrifices of Almighty God. Why did God bring so much judgment against Babylon is because of the contemptness of a righteous God. Why did... Well, I'll give you the answer. So now then, the literal language... I've got to shut off here in a minute. The literal language is specific language that God gives us specifically about specific things and times and dates, and he specifically does that. But a lot of times in the Old Testament, that was in figurative. So now then, I, I want to give you a little bit of church history, a little bit, and then we're going to cut you loose, and next week you may want to come back. If the rapture church don't happen, we'll, but if it does, you won't be here. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm a smart aleck, I know. Thank you. Victoria was a historian writer, uh, Eusebius. The, these, these men were historians, but there's one that every scholar will agree that, that, that he is accurate and he records truth in his Josephus. History or his story 
that the only way that we know what is actual and factual for truth is from historians. Our libraries are filled with history. Certain events that took place that cannot be erased or changed. So, so whether they're good or bad or the ugly. But, but this is what Josephus, he was regarded as the highest and the, and, and the most valuable historian. And he writes in the wars of the Jewish antiquities. And no one, dis, no one, no scholars, no one, Luther, Edwards, no one disregards anything that Josephus records and writes. Because he, he wasn't necessarily a Christian, he was a historian. So he had no irons of the fire. He wasn't slanting words. It wasn't CBS or NBC's or Fox News or, 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 or Nickelodeon. There was no slants involved. I'm just here to record actual and factual truth, whether it be on the religious terms or, or, or political terms. This is the way it worked. And we know through, through the years that everything, I mean, everything that we know, there's been no argument in the language of Josephus. Does anybody know anything that he has recorded that's false? Go ahead and speak now forever, hold your peace. There's nothing anywhere. Nothing. So you have to understand that everything he writes is actual and factual and true. The information that he had in front of him. In 70 AD, in the wars of antiquity, in the wars that refer to as 653, this is what he writes. An unusual and astronomical event occurred in 70 AD. Comets streaked the skies and the heavens were filled with fire. A few days after that feast, and on the one of the 20th day of the month of Artemis, which would be May, which would be in the preparation of, of Pentecost, a certain prodigious, which means, prodigious, the word means gigantic in size or colossal in quantity or proportion, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. And I suppose the account of it would seem fable if it was not related by those who saw it and were not the events that followed it. It was so considerable of nature it had to be observed with such signals. Before the sun was setting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their army were seen running about the clouds surrounding the cities. And more were at the feast which we call Pentecost as the priests were going by night into the inner courts of the temple. It was their custom to do so, to perform their sacred ministrations. That they said that in the first place, they felt a quaking. And then they heard a great noise. And after that, they heard a sound of a great multitude saying, let us remove hence. Josephus, the antiquities of the Jewish War, 643. So here we have a guy that is regarded even to this day as the greatest and most accurate of all historians since Jesus. And somewhere around 70 AD, which would make it correct, in between Artemis, which is the month of May, which Artemis, which is the goddess of the Grecians. The Jews spent about 7 to 14 days in preparation of Pentecost. So we know that there was 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. But somewhere between those feasts at the year 70 AD, while they were making preparation for the Feast of Pentecost, which was great, something happened in that year and in that month. 
that he said it would seem like a fable if there wasn't eyewitnesses to validate it. It would seem science fiction, he said, if it wasn't validated by eyewitnesses everywhere. And this is what we saw. First, that we heard some things, and we heard an earthquake, or we heard rumblings, and we felt an earthquake. And then it was eyewitnesses, he says, that saw the heavens that was filled, the clouds were filled with angels and fire and chariots. Now we have a record in 2 Kings chapter 6 of a man by the name of Elisha that's surrounded by a Syrian army. And, 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 and here, here's the, here, it, it was two against 200,000. And Elijah and his servant was, was, was camped out at this little side in, 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 in this particular valley. And, and, and Elijah was sleeping late like most preachers do. And, and the servant went out to, to, to gather a little bit of water by the brook. And he, comes, and he looks up and he sees the whole place is covered with a sea of Syrians. And he runs back in and he said, we're dead meat. We ain't got a chance. He said, I can't even see the green grass for the people. You know what, Elisha, you know what he did? He goes, ah, we're doomed. You know, he didn't do that. You know what he did? He walked out there and saw these people surrounding him. And he said, Father, open his eyes that he may see. And when this servant opened up his eyes, what did he see? The Bible says specifically that the mountains were filled with chariots of angels. Filled with the glory of God. You ever read that? It's worth reading. Turn off the view. Read the Bible. You'll like it better. But in 70 AD, as Josephus records it, that we felt the earthquake and we heard this and we, stars, we saw stars falling from the heavens. They were cascading in 70 AD. That was prophesied and predicted from Jesus in 30-something AD. We, we saw that happening. And then he said, I heard the angel said, let us move from this. Judgment came upon the temple of Jerusalem in 70 AD in the way that was prophesied by Jesus on the, all of that discourse. But the angels was not in the heavens in chariots and flames of fire and the constellation of the stars. It was angels going everywhere. But they wasn't there to protect the man of God like it was in 2 Kings. They were there to pronounce and sentence judgment upon Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to close with this. Has anybody ever heard the term abomination desolation? Well, you know what that is. That's somewhere in the future where the Antichrist, whoever they may be, will go into a temple, whatever that is, and he's going to do something, whatever that may be, and it's going to be bad. Boy, that's, that's real revelational, isn't it? That we know in the first century B.C. that the Greeks brought in a live sow into the temple and boiled it and Herod the Tetrarch. And we know in the first century that they did the same thing. When you say the word abomination, desolation, you get the word of like bombing something where it's desolate. That's not what it means. Something that's happened that's so abominable or so detestable that God left. So use the word desolation. God left. In the Old Testament it's called what? Ichabod. God left. 
Remember Samuel? Oh, they had a temple. They had a priest. They had the animals. They had everything going on. Jeffrey, they had everything going on except one thing was missing. We got priests. We got that. We got that. We got 23 courses of servants. We got that. We got that. One thing was missing. God left. How would you like to go through your whole Christian life going through the motion and God's not there? Abomination, desolation that you can liken it to the New Testament future events of in years to come. And I don't care if you do that or not. Just go ahead. Write your book. Go ahead. But that's not what he has reference to because he references in Mark the abomination desolation. So kind of keep in mind, why would God, why would Jesus, why would God destroy the temple and destroy Jerusalem? Even Jesus prophesied Luke. Remember what he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He said he, he got to a place on Mount of Olivet and he looked upon the city, beautiful. The dome was shining gold. They could see it for miles and and he said, Jerusalem, I, how I would have gathered you as a, as a hen gathers chick under her wings, but you would not. He knew that the temple in Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, and he knew lives was going to be lost. Next week, I will deal what he talks about, run to the mountains. There's a reason why he says that. They wasn't supposed to run to the mountains. They were supposed to run to the temple. Because that was a fortified city within a city. Nobody. It's kind of like tornadoes in Oklahoma. You know, when you're in Oklahoma, a tornado alarm goes off. It's just a sign for you to go in the front yard and look for it. That's the way we operate. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to go to a cellar. And when he says run to the mountains, that, that was not protocol. Every Jew knew to run to the walls of Jerusalem and go into the temple because it was an impenetrable fortified structure. And Jesus said, when that time comes, what time? When this time comes, you better head for the hills. Why? Because in 70 A.D., Jerusalem will be imploded. Whew. So what is abomination desolation? And don't say the Antichrist. Please don't. Let's don't go there. I want to go back to the original statement I made, and we're going to go home. For 37 years after his crucifixion until 70 A.D., they had 37 years of ongoing sacrificial worship in the temple. Now for you that don't care and you don't know, but you think when he rose from the dead that they all repented and they all served God. No, no. Now, we have a few conversions, but that conversion has left Jerusalem. And that, that's why they went to the uttermost parts of the world. The reason why God said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, you better get out of here because in 70 A.D., and he didn't tell them 70 A.D., but in 70 A.D., all this is fixing to come on your head. So I'm telling you, you need to leave. Now, does that make sense? Yes. And that's why he sent them out. And they hung around there for a while like the mall of Jerusalem until the first disciple got his head beat in, Stephen, and when the first drop of Stephen's blood, they all left. Imagine that. There was a reason why he sent them out away from Jerusalem. Because if they would have stayed at Jerusalem, John, and stayed there and camped there, when Titus come in, 
everyone that believed in Christ would have been destroyed and the gospel would have been buried in the rubble of Jerusalem. So they've had 37 years to get it right. But they didn't. So here's the concept. What is abomination that caused God to leave? Because he sent the true sacrifice among them. And he walked among them. And they touched him. And they beheld him. And they heard the voice saying, this is my son. John 1 says this, this is the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. And upon the cross that things happened, that he was God's atoning sacrifice for mankind. And they still rejected it. They touched him, they held him, they embraced him, but they rejected him for 37 more years. And God said, I've had enough. Thirty-seven years is a long time. And for thirty-seven years they continue to defile the true sacrifice of the one God, which was his son Jesus. And for thirty-seven years, especially on the Day of Atonement, where they kept that propaganda lie a-going. And God said, it's enough. And in 70 A.D., the stars fell, the sun hit its face, the moon went and hid, and Titus, the Roman general, walked in. And one stone was not left upon the other. Jerusalem had collapsed and the temple was destroyed. Just like Jesus said in a simple conversation with his disciples in content and in context. And the last thing on the question now, you can breathe easy. Turn to and say, oh, he's done. <laughs> Listen, I'm very dangerous, but I'm very sincere with this. Can anybody tell me when the last sacrifice of contempt against God was offered? Seventy. AD. They've never offered sacrifice to an animal again. God said, I had enough. Now let that sink into you. Back in 1967 and 1948 and 67 of that six-day war, that seven-day war, I don't know, I forgot. But it's recorded that when these soldiers got into Israel with machine guns to take over. Some of you saw this on the news. You know what they did? They dropped their machine guns and they went to the wall. And it astounded these news people that once they got in the city, it was no longer about conquering the city. It was about heading to the wall because all they know is the presence of God used to live within the confines of these walls. The Jews are longing and they're hungry for the redemption plan and, and it's only through Jesus but I'm here to tell you this morning God said I had enough. I, 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 you, you made a mockery of my son. 
You made a mockery of my atoned sacrifice through his shed blood. And for 37 years, you've been keeping this going and going and going. And I've had enough. And he leveled the place. And they've never offered it since. Because God's judgment came. So, will the Jews restore sacrificial worship? Yes. Are they waiting for a temple? No. No. Will they build a temple? Probably. Where did sacrificial worship begin, ladies and gentlemen? The tabernacle. And all they need from a tabernacle is a few badger skins. They need a high priest and they need the ashes of the red heifer. In 1989, they got both of those things. Red heifers from Stockholm and they found the true lineage of the high priest. They don't need anything to start sacrificial worship. And I'll even give you the point and day probably when the tribulation will start. And, you, and I'll give you the day probably, not really, but I can. When evening sacrifices start. Daniel says, 1,260 days. The Hebrew calendar is a little different than ours. That's three and a half years, the tribulation. It, we'll talk about it in week six, okay? So, this morning, thank you for your patience. The Olivet Discourse is dealing with his specific instructions to Jerusalem and the temple to these men and these chapters are talking about signs of his coming, what to watch for. And he says, this generation, you fellows, will not pass away. You will be here when all this happens because heaven and earth will pass away. But if I don't get this right, my word's at stake. And, and, and it'll, be, it'll, it'll be the greatest, enormous gross of, of mistrust of Scripture. You'll see it. Did they see it? Yes. Absolutely. And we do know that the revolt of Nero and the first church was persecuted and all this, and we know this, we know this. Now, some was even martyred, we understand that, but I'm telling you, in that generation, in that dispensation, he cannot be referring to the second coming of Christ into the unknown. He's referring to this generation is the people present. So, what I'm about to tell you in the weeks to come, keep it in context, please. Please. And in 70 A.D., watch this. Now this is going to, take a deep breath. This won't hurt long. Go ahead and take a deep breath. Jesus did come in 70 A.D. to bring destruction as the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Does anybody beside me believe that Jesus is the one called the Son of Man coming in the clouds? I mean, I mean, I mean can we, we're, we're in the second grader. I mean, isn't that true? So either he's lying or he's not. And he says in verse 6, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Did they see him or not? They did. In 70 AD. And he didn't actually come to earth, put his foot on earth and raise people from the dead. He came in 70 AD to bring judgment upon the temple. It's amazing. Even at his birth. I mean, I told you in the beginning, at his birth. I mean, there was an alarm going off at his birth. Going, burr, burr, the Son of God is here. I mean, that didn't happen. What happened naturally when he was born into the natural? Nothing. They never knew it. So did he come in 70 AD? Now, I'm not a preterist, and, and we'll talk about that. I mean, everything that happened in the first century, 
I'm, I'm not that guy. I believe there's future events that's going to happen. I do believe in the second coming. I do believe in the tribulation period. I believe in the second coming. I believe that we'll reign and live with him forever and ever. Amen. And it can be back scripturally. But in this context, all these signs and events don't make the mistake of, of taking bits and pieces and shoving it to the future of the unknown. He was talking about that generation that was about to be exposed to that great and horrific, violent day. And it came to pass. Now, for all you people, we're going to go. Did he come that day? He did. He did. And Josephus said that they saw it. They saw angels and, and, and they saw something in the heavens. Didn't mean to come to planet earth, but he came to rain judgment upon Israel. They did. But will he come again the second time? Absolutely. Will he come to earth and set his kingdom upon the earth? Absolutely. Absolutely. But Jesus did not lie in verse 26 that you will see the Son of Man coming. Because if he did not come in that present day generation, then he would have lied. Can you agree with me with that? Are you understanding this? Amen. He would have lied. And some of you don't care. I understand. But you're having talking to a guy that does care. Because I really want to know truth. And does it change anything? I don't know. Not really. But I'm not looking for a second. You'll find that in the next couple of weeks. Oh, baby, don't leave me. Don't leave me. But the kingdom of heaven is in us. Oh, it's in us. It's in me. So, is there days ahead of us, Brandon, that's probably troublesome? I'm going to say yes. Is there days ahead of us that's persecution? I'm going to say yes. But don't take those verses out of Scripture just to suit your situation. So there are the words such as, what is the end of the age? We'll talk about this. What does it mean, just generation? We'll talk about that. What is the signs of his coming? We'll talk about all this stuff. If you'll just stay with me and give me the benefit of the doubt. All right? All of that discourse, he was just preparing his disciples what will come. Now next week, I'll address the situation that no man knows the day or the hour. I'll address that dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay? And, and it's very simple to dis explain. All right? That wasn't so bad, was it? No. Father, we love you above all things, and we're just going to ask you this morning privately that the disciples saw this enormous, gigantic architectural structure that represented some type of religion of the Jews. But God wasn't there. And Father, the disciples asked this question to Jesus. When will your kingdom come? And what shall these things be? And Father, your son Jesus began to lay out a roadmap of wars, rumors of wars, kingdoms, nations that would famines, earthquakes, pestilence, disease, upheavals, murderings, and all these things that would happen within the 37 years that they had to work with 
until 70 AD. He was just preparing them for things to come. So every one of us in this place, we believe without a doubt that your word is true and it's right and it's correct in contents. But we've been so lost in the maze of the unknown and we spend our whole life trying to figure out who the Antichrist is and who are those lion frogs and all those things that we're so confused. So this morning, we're just going to surrender our minds and our hearts to you. We trust you and prepare our hearts for things to come. Good days or bad days, would you please secure our feet in the concrete of your word that no matter what tomorrow may hold, you hold tomorrow. And this message of blessings and prosperity and all these things that they'll lie in the bar ditch of in the wastelands of things that does not matter. But you're bringing us, this people of the church, you're bringing us to a place where, without a doubt, we may not understand everything, but we trust you. And I believe in 70 AD, as Josephus records, that something happened. Father, I believe that you had enough sacrificial worship in your belly the contempt of God, the contempt of your son so much that you absolutely eradicated that in 70 AD until even this day, over 2,000 years later, it's never been rebuilt. You meant it. So help us today to get it right. Jesus is the only sacrifice that will bring forgiveness of sins. It's not our own works of doing good. It is the shed blood of Jesus Christ applied to our life. And Father, in closing, I want to lay aside every ambition to be talented and politically correct. I'm going to lay aside every ambition to, to be something or be important. I just want to be a slave to you. And I want to go where you go and I want to stay where you stay and I want to lodge where you lodge. Because it is in your presence that I find not only security, but I find serenity for my mind. So help us in this small church as we continue to grow and trust you in your word in Christ's name. Amen. Stand and give the Lord a praise offering. Boy, praise him because I'm through. Would you do that? Oh, there's some things we're going to talk about. Communion service, please come. Remember, communion service is all about remembering Christ, getting it right, getting it right. You know, what's not, not hilarious about this, but for you that are good Bible students, you notice he didn't bring in any article of lamb or anything. He absolutely used the bread and the cup to best demonstrate what they were to remember. This is the last lesson that he'll give. And he said, of everything that you'll forget, remember these two things. This bread represents my body that will be broken for you. Your broken dreams, your broken lives, your broken hearts, your broken marriages, your broken minds, your brokenness, disappointments, broken by guilt, shame, and all these things that seem to break the body down. Jesus Christ became broken that we can be whole. And he took the cup and he said, this cup 
is a reminder that it's not the lamb's blood that was shed in the book of Exodus, but is now I am the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And my father will take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross. Remember these two things. And if we'll remember these two things, ladies and gentlemen, the Calvary Christian Fellowship, there will be no commission of abomination. And God will leave this place. If we will keep his son as the head of this church, God will continue to be with us. So Father, bless this cup this morning, bless this bread, and help us to absorb simple truths that we heard this morning that will remind us that your word is accurate for the days to come as well. In Christ's name, amen.